individuals and aware are That's an old one, isn't it? Uh, it's recording. It's not too old. It's not? No, she's older than it. Oh. I haven't seen her in a long time. Okay. Good morning. This is uh, one of our members, Norma Mason, one of our very good friends, and the Lord just gave her a thought last night, so I wanted her to share that with you guys before I teach. Good morning. It was really a thought this morning, driving to, to Roy's house, and I was thinking to myself, and there was a, a skunk lying in the road, and it had been hit by a car. And I thought to myself, some people would say that skunk was worthless, but there's nothing in this earth that's worthless. Everything that God put here is worth something. It has a purpose. And I thought that's the way we think about our family of, of people that we live with and share this earth is that we look at some people and say, you know, he's really worthless because I've heard people say that. Mm -hmm. And I thought no matter how bad anyone is, they're not worthless or God wouldn't have put, him, put them here. So I just want everyone to and know. it needs to be taken out of the dictionary. It needs, I think it should be taken completely, the word Worthless should be deleted from the dictionary. I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to say it again. So, no one's worthless, and you're not worthless, and I'm not, no matter what other people think. So, that's Amen. That, that was her first of many sermons to come. <laughs> Thank you, Norma. That is so true. Because, again, when you, when you see something that's worth, you think it's worthless... You're seeing by the seeing of the eyes, and you're seeing carnal things. So, well, I'm glad you're here today. I, uh, <clears throat> I, well, I was going to adjust this camera. Let me turn this camera down just a little bit, real quick, before I start, because I just, just kind of get my head only. There we go. <clears throat> Yesterday, <clears throat> I studied quite a quite a bit of time, and. Uh, I tell you, it was just like the Lord was just uh, the Spirit of God, the voice, the Spirit in me was just dumping things in me right and left. And uh, I took a couple of the college courses, and by the time I got done with that, I rested for a while, then I started writing uh, and studying for today. And the flow was so awesome. And I told Donna last night, I just can't wait to teach this. If she hadn't been in bed already, I probably would have taught it to her already. <laughs> We'd been up all night long. But I, it, it brought me some really great understanding, some great peace in my life, and uh, that's what's important. That's what we need. We need, and peace means perfection. So I hope that everything that you hear, no matter who you're listening to or studying under, it brings the knowledge that you are perfected in God, that you are perfect, you are holy, no matter what you see, no matter what you look at. Even like Norma said, if somebody looks at you and thinks you're worthless, or if you think you're worthless, there's been times in my life that I said, I'm worthless. You know, I lose a job or something happens, you know, whatever it is. And that's the first, uh, that's the word that we go to. And really, she's right. It should be stricken from the dictionary and from our vocabulary because it is a worthless word. That's the, that's the best way to use it. Worthless is a worthless word. So good, good point, Norma. Uh, I was talking to a person yesterday, <clears throat> and her, like many other people, have uh, 
fallen prey to the fear that's been propagated across the world. And of course, fear has been done that way for many, many years, but today it's really prevalent. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there that just scare people half to death. And I was talking to her about it and I said, you know, uh, you asked her how many hours she spent watching it. It was quite a few hours, quite a few. And I was pretty much in comparing that to rolling in the mud, rolling in the dust. You know, it brings you down to a carnal mindset. And when you live in a carnal mindset, what does it do? It produces fear. You're afraid for your life. You're afraid, you're afraid of a devil. You're afraid of the end of the world. We're even afraid of spiders. We're afraid of everything because we don't know who we are. And so I told her, if you was playing in mud and you got mud all over you and you come into the house, what mom, what's mama going to do? She's going to wash you in water. So the answer to get out of this fear is allow the very breath of God in you to wash you with the water of the word. And the breath of God <clears throat> is teaching. When, when God speaks, breath comes out, right? And it's teaching. So it's us take, breathing in the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding. And then what we learn, we breathe that back out. So we need that. It's important for us to do that. Uh, I, I was thinking about this last night because I, I have new eyes, physical eyes. I have a new lens that's put in there by man. I'm so glad that man has the technology that they have. I don't have to wear glasses anymore. I don't have to wear bifocals anymore. But when it comes to eight or nine font, it's very hard to see. And so I have some uh, bifocals in there that I can wear when I'm studying because a lot of my books that I look at for references have really small fonts. And I just heard, well, really all you need is more light. So I went and got this little light that I bought for Donna. I have two of them. And I put it on there. And all of a sudden, I could see. And I thought, what a picture there that, you know, if you can't understand something, all you need is a little more light. And God is the Father of light. God is the source of light. And Father God can shine light on us and on whatever it is. So... If it's something you can't understand, you know, uh, it just needs a little more light. If you still can't see it, wait until more light comes and then you'll be able to see it. I've had times that I've got up in the middle of the night to do something and I maybe I forgot to take my blood pressure pill or something. And I would look at it to make sure it's what it was and my eyes were a little blurry and I couldn't read it. And so I had to go to a place where there was more light. So sometimes you have to go to a messenger that has more light to help you. Amen? Amen. And so, uh, <clears throat> in, this, in this study today, I'm going to be talking about uh, why Jesus was baptized in water. Because we were always taught that you were baptized to what? Wash you free of your sins and cleanse you of your sins and, and all that. That's what religiosity taught us. Our, and there are people that say if you've not been baptized in water... And the preacher didn't tag it with the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, you're not really saved. You ever heard that? You know, so there's a lot of that that goes on. <clears throat> and then I'm going to talk about uh, <clears throat> why when Jesus said, uh, let the dead bury the dead. And explain that to you too, the best that I can. I'm sure other people have other understandings and that's fine. But that's the, what I'm going to share with you is the light that I have on it. I do not say that what I teach is the only truth. As Kay has said many times, I think she said the ancients have said there's at least 70 or 80, not, not translations of the Bible. People think she said that, but there's that, that many ways of literally understanding the word. And there really is. You know, you can just look in the world today and see all the different religions and 
There's many more ways because the Baptist understands it one way, Pentecostal and Catholics, and it just goes on and on. So there's probably many more, more than 80 ways of really understanding the word, but it may not be the true understanding. And so we all want to get to where we, where we I, I, some of these professors I'm studying understand that we'll never agree. I don't agree with that at all. Uh, you know, I don't agree. I will, I, we will agree on God's word. We, there, will be a come, a, there will come a time when we all literally enter into our mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ only has one understanding. If I have a hard drive, and it's a really huge hard drive to my computer, and I put that in everybody's computer, what's going to happen? That computer is going to spit out the same information every time you make a withdrawal, right? Won't it be wonderful when that happens, when we all speak as the voice of one and in tune to the voice of one. And so some people want it all at once. A lot of people want it all at once. I, I, you know, I'm not so dumb that I wouldn't say if there was a person that could lay hands on me and impart and impart uh, or, or give me the ability to tap in 100% to the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge that Jesus came to teach us, I would be the first in line. Wouldn't you, yes. you know? But that's not how it works. It happens in a, prog a, a, a progression. The Bible says from glory to glory or from appearing to appearing, he changes you. Because I just don't think we could take it all at once. I know that if somebody came to me with what I'm teaching today, 25 years ago, I would have popped. <laughs> you know, I would have just turned away. I would have brushed them off. I would have ran. So we have to progressively grow in these things. But it doesn't have to take a lifetime. It can come very quickly. You know, we talk about mountaintop experiences, mountaintop experiences. When God called, Father called, I'm saying God a lot because all my professors say God all the time, so I keep hearing it. But God to me is just a title. But when Father called people, he wanted, like Abraham, he wanted to tell him that we don't, I don't need sacrifice. He called him up to a mountaintop. He didn't say, bring your son up and sacrifice like people were taught. He said, come to the mountain and I'll tell you which mountain to ascend to. And he wanted to meet with him. So all the mountaintop experiences are revelations. But before you get to a mountain, what do you have to go to first? The hills, right? There's always hills that you get to. Then once you get through the hills, you go to the mountaintop. And that reminds me of the Shulamite. Because the Shulamite, she said, uh, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loves. Well, night always represents darkness or no understanding. And bed means just kind of like at ease in Zion, just laying in bed. You know, you can't, you can't get revelation just laying in bed all the time. <clears throat> now, I know we say, yeah, the Lord speaks to me, yes. But I'm talking about the symbolism of that. At night and in bed, and you're seeking him because you want experience, right? You want an experience. But experiences come and go, do they not? I've had lots of experiences in my life, and they came and go. And particularly, spiritually speaking, we've had many experiences with experiences of what we call the gift of the Spirit and all that. And we were kind of like a concubine. We were always looking for the next one because we wasn't actually sharing our life that we had with the king. And so when she, she said, I sought him, but I found him not. And then it says she went to the city and didn't find him. To me, that's a picture of, of, of uh, the church, if you would. The religious church, the religious-minded church, the city, you know, the city of God, the, the, the one that is awakened is Zion. That's the very heights of the church. Or the, or the, or the, and when I mean church, I'm talking about all people. So she went there and they couldn't help him. 
And then she found him after a time, uh, she found him, and then after a time of, of sensual experiences, if you would, because it was a very intimate conversation, which was a spiritual connection, all of a sudden he was gone. And to me, that's just a great picture of how I must go to the hills. I must go to the mountaintop with my father. If I want the real relationship, if I want the real understanding, I've got to go up higher. And like Butch Hodge uh, taught a, a lesson on the grace of God. And it, uh, one of these days I'm going to write a book for him, but it's going to be titled Grace Leads Us Higher. Our holy breath leads us higher. Our spirit. God is always here right, to try to bring us higher and higher and higher. Why? Because he doesn't want us to live in the dust realm, right? And he definitely doesn't want to be, he's in us. So he, if he, he's in us and he's living with us and he's, he's experiencing what we experience, he doesn't want to experience this and he doesn't want to see you experience it, right? That's why Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and he wept. He said, how often I have wanted to gather you into me, into my wings, into who I am. Wings are voices, right? And the, the cherubim were voices. And he said, how often I have want, I sought to gather you into this understanding, but you wouldn't do it. And he wept. And I can relate to that very much because there's many times I have sought to share revelation knowledge to people, to my family and my friends and other ministers, and they won't come. And Donna can tell you, I have wept. And I've not necessarily always shed tears, but I have wept inside because they just won't, they don't want it. And it's sad, but you just keep going to people who do want it. And you people, I know you want it out there on the World Wide Web that are listening. So to my subject today, I'm titling this, this, this is chapter six. I'm titling it, Jesus said, Jesus said. Well, if Jesus said something, you think it's important that we hear it. Yes, it is. Because he was a, and he was the greatest in, at that day and that time. And we highly exalt Jesus. We were not putting Jesus down. Without Jesus, we wouldn't be where we are today. Right? We wouldn't. But if we can understand more and more of what he said there, we would be in that greater things. And see, the word things almost every time represents logos. So when he said we would do greater things, we would do greater logos. Because we would have a, a clear understanding and there are more comforter teachers in the earth today helping people to wake up to who they are. People are beginning to tap into the living Logos, which is the very spirit of God inside of them. So the statement Jesus said is referenced 65 times and Jesus answered is refer uh, referenced 64 times. So Jesus said and then Jesus answered their questions, right? Aren't you glad he did? You know, I, uh, I'm, this Bible school I'm going through and what I went through when I was in my 20s and then in my 40s, they said a lot, <clears throat> but I asked questions and they didn't always answer them. You know, and so I had to go dig it out and find it for myself. But I'm telling you what, Father God has said things through Jesus and the very, we have the answerer inside of us. We have the mind of Christ inside of us. And so Jesus' answer is referenced 64 times in the King James Version of the Bible. So the true meaning and the truth to what he said is vital to all people. Not just people that's in churches around the world, but it's vital to all people. So to understand Jesus' statement and questions he answered from a mystical meaning, and again, don't be afraid of the word mystical or mystic, it just means a spiritual understanding. 
There are people on the earth that are not satisfied with a kernel understanding of the word, which is just a surface reading. It's how to get more food, how to get more money, how to please God, how to, you know, how to be a better Christian. That, I'm, not, I'm, I'm done with that. I, I don't want to read the Bible. I never read the Bible with a surface reading anymore. I'm looking for the gold and the silver. It's, it's there. The gold is divine nature and the silver is redemption. I'm looking for that in every story that I go through in the Bible. So I'm a mystic. I have no problem saying that I'm a mystic. And if that scares you, uh, it shouldn't scare you whatsoever. So each of these statements bring great revelation to us as we mine the silver and find the gold. And that's Job. And I'll quote that a little bit. But find the gold means to make it palatable. See, gold, when you... When you back back in the days when I went to the gold rush and I was getting all the gold and everything, <laughs> I wish I could do that. But it was mixed with a lot of other stuff in there, wasn't it? And so they had to find it and they had to put it in the word, the water or the fire, if you would, the fire that melted away all the dross. And that's what we're doing. We're finding it. In other words, you are divine. You have the very nature of God, but religion has brought mixture in. So we're putting you in the fire of the word of God, which is burning away all the dross. And the only thing left is going to be uh, gold shines, doesn't it? Yeah. The light of God's glory in you. And we're, we're explaining the righteousness to you. So I won't explain that, uh, all these statements that Jesus said in this, uh, this first book. I'm going to write many books of this. I believe, I believe this is going to be uh, my mandate and purpose for a long, long time, many years to come, is I want to explain every word that Jesus said and every statement that he said. And so I'm, I, last night I, I just said, Lord, you're the voice of spirit in me. You're my guide. Lead me through what I need to do in this chapter, then the next chapter, the next chapter. So it may not be in order as how he said it. So what I'm doing with these statements of Jesus, uh, or what am I doing? Job, uh, Job said, and this is my translation of it, there exists a great fountain of life force, which we know is Father God, within us, that reveals the awesomeness of redemption and righteousness, and the decree of our divine nature is clarified. That means we can understand. It's, we're, no, we're no longer, we can see it without that sin conscious anymore, right? The, the religiosity put stuff in it, and it made it dim, and we saw through a glass darkly. We couldn't see who we really are. So the fountain source is discovered by finding the code and the key to everything that Jesus said. So the first was Jesus. The first thing Jesus said was Jesus was answering John the Baptist when John resisted Jesus' desire to be baptized. John was baptizing people. Jesus came along and John re recognized that he wanted to be baptized. He probably was just walked up and started to step in the water. And John said, you know, I mean, what would you do, Norma? No, I, I should baptize you. I'm not worthy to baptize you. I mean, you should, you should baptize me, you know. And so I found it interesting. I was looked at, he was in Bethany. He was on the other side of the Jordan. He was in Bethany. And I looked up the word Bethany or the name Bethany. And it means the place of crossing, which we could talk about maybe crossing over. But the, more importantly, it means wailing, lamentation, and affliction. Wailing, lamentation, and affliction. And the Greek, Greek, Bethany, also means date house. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So I just heard this. I guess we could say his baptism 
was a foreordained date that started his divine destiny. A foreordained date that started his divine destiny. So, number one, John tried to disqualify himself from performing Jesus being baptized. Jesus said, and this is how it was really translated. It said, I translated it out. It says, get in the water, let us do it now. That's coming. Can you hear? Instead of what it said in the King James, uh, it said uh, it, that was in Matthew 3 7. For those who are taking notes, that's where that story is at. Remind me, Don, if I don't give you the references to some of these. But, so get in the water, let's do it now. For what precedes it becomes to make replete the whole of mankind in righteousness. Isn't that cool? What was he doing? I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but he was literally entering into man's wailing and lamentation and affliction. It was this picture of the baptism that he was going to be involved in for his three and a half years of ministry. He was going to walk amongst those who were wailing. Don't um, do anything that I want to do myself. Huh? He's saying, don't, I'm not, not asking you to do anything that I want to do myself. Right, that's right. So his earth walk, he was going to be amidst all this. This is lamentation, this affliction, uh, affliction. It was going to affect him. It did affect him. It hurt him. It, it crushed him to see how people were living. And again, he wept. I guarantee that it, it, it just wasn't one time where the verse said Jesus wept. I guarantee Jesus wept a lot. And he cried out to God, why won't they listen to me? I know he did quite often. So this baptism was a picture of that. And uh, so what happens here is him being baptized in this water by John symbolizes that he would demonstrate life over these consequential situations in humanity's life. He would demonstrate life. He would walk amongst the wailing and gnashing of teeth and the sickness and the disease and the mental illness and the religious bondages and the, the persecution that he received from the, from the, the leaders he didn't receive persecution from the people. You never receive persecution from the people unless they're really infected by religiosity, right? But he received persecution. So he was going to enter into their world and then eventually take all that into himself on the cross and take all that into himself by what he taught and destroy it and bring it to naught. The Bible says, for this purpose was the Son of Man manifested to destroy, it said him, but literally the traducing effects, right? That And the fruit of it. The fruit of it. What was the fruit of it? Well, it was the wailing, the gnashing of teeth, and all those things that I just read to you. And so, in the lamentations and the afflictions that came from all that. And so, he took that into the cross with him, and that was called the, his mistaken identity. Man's mistaken identity. And it died there. And the word destroy, I love that word. Donna's heard me say it. Norma has hundreds of times. And Carl and Ann and, and Tammy and Bob and Larry. and <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, it means, let's see. It means it's kartageo in the Greek. And it means bring to naught, make void, melt away, perish, uh, uh, non-existent, it just doesn't exist. And I always say, you know, because the King James used the word devil and they got that from Dante's hell, if you believe in a devil, there's two verses that said Jesus destroyed it. So why are you still believing in it? 
Oh, well, he destroyed it for him, is what religion says, but not us. We have to fight him. All right, how many times are you going to fight him? How many times are you going to defeat the devil? You know, if you really think about it, it is really silly for us to continue to believe that with all the understanding that's come forth today. But some people want a devil. Because if you have a devil, you have somebody to blame, right? The religiosity teaches you to play the blame game. You always blame it on somebody else. You know, why was Jesus baptized in water? Did he have any need to be cleansed himself? No, he was perfect. When he was born, he never left his original birth date. He never left his union, his awareness of his union with God. He never left his supernatural mind. He never left his supernatural body. He was supernatural, family. When the Pharisees were trying to kill him, he would just step out of the realm of the, the, of the physical and enter the realm of spirit, and they couldn't see him anymore. He didn't walk through walls. You know, a lot of people want to say he walked through walls and all that. No, he just translated in the spirit, you know? And if you woke up to who you are, and there are people, I've told you stories, there are people that literally have translated. They didn't walk through walls. There's no distance in spirit. We can't quite understand that right now, but I kind of do. There's no distance in spirit. If I knew for 100% who I am, and I functioned out of my supernaturalness, I could literally, if there was a withdrawal for me to be in Africa, I would be there. If there was a need, I would be there. And I don't have to go through anything to get there. That I mean, that's another whole teaching. So, <clears throat> so I've written in uh, my other books about how man has been made dumb and has been made silent to the living word by being baptized in many religious rites. I didn't take time to look up that word last night, but it's Dhamma. And the way I've explained it before is... I'm a little better at it now, but many, many years ago, uh, I worked most of my 20s and 30s. I worked long hours, uh, not hard, but I worked long hours. So I wasn't involved in sports. My only, only sports my dad watched was boxing, and I hated it. So I didn't watch football and all that, and I didn't understand the lingo. I didn't understand. I, I knew first and 10. I knew some of the other stuff. But I didn't know the famous players and all that. So when I was around my son-in-law, which is just eat, was eaten up with sports, I was dumb. So I remained silent, right? If you're dumb to such a subject, a wise person would remain silent. A lot of religious people need to understand that. Or you could ask questions. I know, but I remained silent, if what I'm saying. I couldn't talk about it. That's what I'm saying. I, if I would have learned, I could have talked, but I didn't know. And so religiosity makes you dumb to the truth or ignorant to the truth. There's nothing wrong with those words. It just means you have no understanding. So the baptism we need then is in the water of the living word. The very cells of our body are adjusted one to the other. Every cell is connected, right? Would you agree with that in our body? And so <clears throat> they... Actually, there's an association. If, they're, if they're, they're coming together and they're connected, then there is an association of ideas and understanding, right? If, Norma, if you and I connect so much so that we are one, then there's an association of our understanding and our awareness. And that's why sometimes we, are, we, we tap into our connection and we have the same thought, right? right. Uh, many, many times this happens to me. I'll be thinking about 
Steve Bellflower, and within just a minute, Steve Bellflower calls me. And I'll tell him, I was just getting ready to pick up the phone and call you. That happens all the time. Don and I, we are so associated, we driving down the street, we open our mouths and say the same thing, right? All the time. And I'm sure other husbands and wives are good friends, experience that. Because we, we are literally spiritually connected. So the same we thing is to... We tell the same stories. Huh? We tell the same stories. So that, that is so true because Donna will say, I was telling Ann this. And I said, well, it's funny. I told her the same story last night. And she didn't say, she was nice. She didn't say, yeah, Donna already told me that. She listened. She's very gracious to us. <clears throat> so when we allow the power of our father... And what is the power I taught you last week? What's the power? Remember? What is, what is spirit? Fruit of the spirit. Love. Love. That's the power. That's the power that converted people to, to join the community of believers. That was the power. The message that caused people to join was the message of love. So when we allow uh, that power, which is love, to interpenetrate our consciousness and thought process, every cell then it's balanced by the central. And who is the central? It's Father God. Correct? It's balanced by the central, which is the one God we are in perfect union with. Then spiritual law and spiritual order will rule in every cell of our being. And the same knowledge that's in God, the same knowledge that was in Jesus, the same mind that was in Jesus, which is the mind of God, will be let be in us, and it will quicken our mortal body. Isn't that good? Yes. Every cell in our body is connected. And what the problem is, is the cells are dying and not being repleted because we're not releasing true life. It's been hindered. I call it spiritual birth control. The lies up here in our brain that are still there, there's still many of them that need to be burned up and melted away, Right? By receiving the engrafted word of God, which is able to rescue our soul, which is our entire being. So then that order will rule in every part of our being. When we do not experience the spiritual law and order, we can know we are feeding from the wrong tree. And that would be teachers. Teachers of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm sorry I'm not looking at my camera. I'm just looking at people, but I need to look up here every once in a while. But teachers of the knowledge of good and evil produce nothing but death. And we saw that on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's good, but that good is carnal good. It's not the goodness of God. It's our own efforts, our only goodness. And I wrongly corrected a lady on Facebook, and I apologized to her because she was talking about how she saw somebody and couldn't see him as God. And I told her, you're too, way too far out on the good end of the tree. And I didn't mean to offend. I was trying to use a picture and I apologize to her. I would never hurt anybody like that. But our goodness, God doesn't want our goodness and God doesn't want our, what we call evil. God wants us to be who we be, right? And to feed on the tree of life. So we can know what tree we're feeding on and we can know which side of the tree of the life of good and evil. If you're always seeing evil, 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 then you're on the evil side of that tree. And if you're always seeing your great works and you're involved in what's called Eros love, which is all about experiences and me being the best I can be and people looking at me and seeing me the best that I can be. In, in the Grecian days, uh, before the New Testament, the New Testament was agape love, but in Greek, it was Eros. 
and it was all about me and all about and all the statues that they made and all the Greek gods that I kid about me looking like it was that was what they wanted. They wanted to be that and they never could be. So they ended up in great despair, suicide, depression of mind, and you name it. And that's not where we want to be at. So thus we must turn within to our life source, being our holy breath, our spirit, our father, and allow ourselves to be baptized in the truthful word. And being baptized by our spirit does significantly more than physical water. I've said this many times, you can be baptized in water until you look like a prune or a grape. It does nothing for you whatsoever. A shriveled up grape, a raisin. Thank you. A raisin. And uh, I, I'm not against people being baptized. But I, I wish that religion, churches would explain, this is a physical picture of a spiritual truth, that this is a picture that you have made a choice to allow us and allow the Spirit of God to baptize you in the living word. That's what will cleanse you, right? right? The living word. So when we lean to our spirit, our conscious awareness, our subconsciousness, and the brain that houses all that, and the body is uh, permeated, permeated with a spiritual essence with God life. It's permeated with that. So for us, the spiritual emphasis of being baptized is more of a baptism of spiritual awareness that brings clear understanding. So the water is not necessary. If a person needs that physical picture, that's okay. But it's not necessary to be baptized in water. You need to be in a place where there's a minister that's a, an anointed messenger of God that can baptize you in the living words that Jesus said. If it wasn't necessary, though, why did Jesus do it? I just explained it to you just a minute ago. Well, just say, it say it again. Say it okay. Simply. He was he was showing a picture that he was going to enter into man's suffering. His three and a half year journey. That was his beginning of, of saying, "I am going to enter into everything that man suffered: the willing, the gnashing of the teeth, the lamentation, and all that. I'm going to enter into that, and then I am going to I am going to power over that in my earth walk. I you know, literally what he wanted to do and desired to do was to teach them the truth that would make them free, but he couldn't. He taught them the truth that he set them free, that truth that he taught set them free, but until they fed on the truth and believed the truth, they would not be made free, and the word made free means experience, right? And Donna, you can have these notes when I'm done and look over it and you'll understand it more. He didn't have to be baptized. He, was, uh, he always taught in parables, right? because people couldn't understand. So that was a parable, if you would say. It was a, a metaphor. There was a meaning. We've got to understand that everything Jesus said and did, there's a hidden meaning. Remember, just beneath the, beneath the word, there is silver and gold. Silver and gold does not lay on top. There was a day that, you know, in America, they would find gold in water, and there was so much of it. But spiritually speaking, Silver and gold, redemption knowledge and divine knowledge, you have to mine it out. That's what Job said. Surely there's a place where the, where the, uh, the silver is mine and the gold is, is fine. And there is, and that's what we're doing today. So the heavenly, heavenly knowledge and the wisdom of our eternal Father opens up to us, which is a corrected discernment. It corrects our discernment. It corrects our perception. It corrects the prophecy that's spoken out of our mouth. 
And you know how I feel about prophecy. Prophecy is not speaking about something to come. Prophecy is not saying, thus saith the Lord, God said this or God said that. Prophecy is speaking the truthful word of God. All the prophets, and I, got, I just got through going through a study on the minor and the major, and the reason they're minor and major is the minor prophets were smaller books, the major prophets were like Isaiah, Jeremiah, they were bigger books. That's the only difference. But they did not prophesy of gloom and doom and despair to come. They prophesied a word of protection. And then if you didn't live out of God and you lived carnally, then these will be your consequences. They were not prophesying that God was coming to judge them whatsoever. And so if you're going to be a prophet today, you need to know the truthful word and get up and proclaim and teach the truthful word. And so, uh, <clears throat> Father told Jeremiah, for instance, well, first of all, every prophet uh, that Father would say to them that, that he equipped them, he, he gave them the equipping, he gave them a, the ability, he said, your words will be my words and I will speak my words. I heard that on a dream last night. It was so funny. I just heard your words are my words and my words are your words. I heard that so strong and I was kind of asleep, but I stirred awake and I just said, thank you, Father. Because we need to know that. Because I, I don't, I don't, I've, I've, there's been times in my life that I wasn't 100% sure what I was teaching was God's word. But I want it to be God's word. So my words are God's words and God's words are my words. And you can say the same thing, hopefully. But what he said to Jeremiah, and I love it because this is the call that the Lord gave me. He told him, I formed thee and your mother. That's pretty cool. God forms you and, and, and your mother. Father said, I knew you in her. Knew means intimate. How did he know him? He was one with him. He was God in a body, right? In Genesis 1.27, it says, and when you translate it, it said, God made man male and female to create, recreate himself. That's what it said, to create himself. So he also said, uh, uh, do not be afraid of the faces of those I send you to. I'm in you. You know, if, if God is in you, why would you be afraid of anything? Why would you be afraid of a spider? Ladies, why are you afraid of a mouse? <laughs> Most women are. And then Father touched his mouth. He touched his mouth, which is a baptism of the living word. He anointed his mouth to be able to speak forth the living word. And he said, I put my words and your mouth. That's awesome. I'll never forget when Bob Mills took me in his office and corrected me and said, Roy, whatever you say, you're saying as me. I give you the authority to speak on my behalf. That emboldened me after about three, three or four weeks or six weeks of not been sure I was a manager, afraid to make decisions. And he said, I made you general manager. You you represent me out there on that floor. You represent me on the telephone. You represent me when you call the factories. If you say send us uh, $100,000 worth of recliners, you have the authority to do that. What did Jesus tell us? We have all authority, right? Because God puts his word in our mouth. And if we would learn to tap into the mind of God, every word we speak would be the living word and it would do nothing but cause life and peace and perfection. How many words are coming out of people's lives today that are causing death? Including physical death. 
right? Father also said, I have this day set thee. Well, one Hebrew meaning for set thee is deposit in you. Deposit, I've set you. I've prepared you for life. I've deposited in you everything that you're going to need to do what I've called you to do. God, I, I, I heard this a long time ago, God qualifies the called. He doesn't call you and expect you just to go out and make it on your own. I mean, I'm telling you, when the Lord spoke these things to me and said, I'm going to make you like a Jeremiah, I thought, who, me? You know, it's kind of like Paul, who, me? I'm, who am I? But see, God doesn't call the qualified. God qualified the called, right? I was talking to a young lady in Salt Lake City the other day, and the Lord told her to come out, you know, and I had no clue about that. And I, uh, I, the Lord prompted me to call her, and we just began to talk, and she didn't say a word to me about that. And I began to exhort her and tell her that you can do it, that you've been equipped to do it. You have a wonderful voice. You have love radiates through you. People will listen to you. You need to start teaching on Facebook. And next thing you know, she began to tell me that that was a word because, you know, so we people need to know that God is qualifying you. You don't need to sit down and say, well, I haven't gone through enough school yet. I, I don't have the degrees that I want to have. You know, I'm getting degrees because I'm, I'll tell you what I really want to do. I just all of a sudden got a passion for it. I'm hoping to get to teach in a Bible college here two or three days a week. And that's why I want this other this other master's degree. Besides that, I'm doing it to help the school to kind of critique some things. But I'm enjoying it. I'm learning a whole lot. I'm learning why I believe some things. And I'm learning where other people get their belief systems. And it's good to do that. It's not wise just to say, I don't believe you. I need to know where you're coming from. So I can say, you know what, uh, I can't tell you I know how you feel, I can't tell you I know this or that, but, but I'd like to tell you what I found out, you know. I know how I feel when I felt that way. And I can do it in a better way that's not offensive to people, and I can help people that way. So Father God sets you. So who is anyone else to say that you're not called? One of my preachers of my childhood told me that they never saw me that I was called to be a pastor. And I said, well, you didn't call me. Father did. I don't need a man to call me, but Father did. I want to say, if I knew what I knew today, I would say, were you there when God was with me in my womb? Were you there when God created me? Nope, <laughs> you were not. So I was baptized as a young man. I remember Donna's baptism, it was a glorious experience. You know, we were there in that level of understanding and, Donna had never been in church hardly at all in her entire life, and she, she accepted the Lord, and she did what the church said. She got saved, and she had a marvelous experience. And she also, they, they told us we needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and she did, and she spoke in a prayer language, and it was a marvelous experience. And they baptized her in water, and Susie was with you, right? Susie Hibbert. And, and it was, but see, it was an experience. And I'm not going to take from experiences because experiences are real, but they don't last. It's the relationship that she acquired that's lasted. When she came to know her father intimately, that's what lasted. I'm really preaching at you, Norm. <laughs> I'm looking at Donna, too. <clears throat> so I was baptized. and uh, But the baptizing uh, that I needed, I can tell you the baptizing, was the, it, was the, it was the living word that I needed. I needed the living word. And I have to tell you, 
I, I was climbing up. We were going higher and higher and higher, but it was a long, long time before we heard the living word. Even in us, Tree of Life, we were hearing a measure of it, but I don't think it's been until about the last three or four or five years that we really have become to hear the living word to the point that we're becoming the living word in experience. We already are the living word, but it's coming out of us. So I do wish that I would have yielded to this baptism of my youth, or more importantly, found a comforter messenger to teach me. I needed that. The first teacher that we really found that helped us, even though it was still carnal teaching, was John Corson in Jacksonville, Oregon. I think he's in the Foursquare Church, I'm not for sure. But he was a great teacher of the word, the little w word. And he had revelation knowledge too. And he was fabulous. But, uh, you know, I received an email yesterday from a man. And he said, I'm finished. Uh, uh, I just finished, I think it was uh, video nine of No Penal Substitution and on YouTube. And he said, I so agree. I wish I had found you I wish I would have found you four decades ago. My life would have been much different. And I was so glad to hear that. And I thought the same thing. But I'm glad you didn't find me four decades ago because your life would not have been. But if he would have found the me that I am today four decades ago, he would have been way further along. All of us would have been, right? All of us would have been. So the problem with me was my parents and my teachers uh, in church, my Sunday school teachers, they didn't know there was such a thing as what we were teaching today. They didn't know that we really had the mind of God. We said we had the mind of, of, of Christ, but we didn't know what that was. We said that Jesus was inside of us, and we didn't know what that was. We didn't understand it. We just said amen. And we were taught to be filled with the Holy Ghost so we could talk in an unintelligible language, and I did. I did. Uh, I haven't in a long time, but every once in a while I'll be praying and I was out at Ann and Carl's house not too long ago. We were praying for somebody that was sick, and I was very passionate. And it just I just said those words because they're in my conscious awareness, and I'm used to it. And I was okay with it. And I say it all the time. If you pray in a what you would call a, a spiritual language, and it brings you comfort, and it brings you help, keep on doing it. God meets you where you're at. But by all means, progress to the message of love. Because that's the language people can understand. That's the language people need. So, but, but that was not, that was not the pouring out of my spirit upon all flesh that the prophet Joel spoke. That was not what that was. Again, what is the power of God? And what is the fruit of spirit? So then I say the fruit of the spirit is love. So Paul inspired Joel to say this, I will pour out my love over all flesh. My love, my holy breath. We could say, I will pour out my truthful word. I will pour out my truth. Because breath again, you can look spirit up two different places, and they both say breath, but one of them is breath and one of them is breathe. Breath is breathing in, if you would. Or breath is breathing, is, is breathing out whatever God teaches you, whatever God shared with you, the understanding. Breathe can be used two places. I can breathe in wisdom and understanding. I can listen to the Spirit of God and breathe that in. And then I can breathe that out on you, right? So he was saying, I will pour out my holy breath all over all flesh. And your, so that to me is understanding. And your sons and daughters will speak of it. 
they will speak of it, and your old men will dream dreams of this love. Isn't that cool? Dreams of this love. And your young men will see visions of ecstasy, rapture, pleasure, excitement, and the bliss of being the object of this passionate longing for love. That's how the Lord showed that to me yesterday. Isn't that powerful? And in my youth, I never experienced all that from Father. Not that Father was withholding it from me. Not that Father, uh, it wasn't in me all, but I lived in an unworthy manner. A worthless manner. And see, I don't know if you remember this, but in the Bible, when it talks, uses the word unworthy, it's talking about the people taking the elements, uh, the bread and the wine. They come to church, and it says they took it unworthily, and religion made that mean that they were unworthy, and they told them they needed to go and ask people to forgive them for everything before they took it. It's not what it meant. The word unworthily is a, it modifies the action, not the actor. Modify means what? It, you know, you can see it. So... It was the action that was unworthy. In other words, they didn't, they didn't take it reverentially. They didn't understand what it was all about, right? So that's the, that's the reason that word is in the Bible that way. But I never, what happened is I never boldly entered into the awareness that I was God's dwelling place, that I was a temple of God because I always felt less than. One chapter that I may put in this book is the dumbing down of man. We have, been, we have been taught and handled and, and conditioned to believe that we're less than Jesus and less than God. We have exalted Jesus so high that almost we can't touch Jesus like we can't touch God. Religion teaches that God's in a far-off place. Some religion teaches that God's not even concerned with us at all. All kinds of beliefs about that. But I don't know about you, but one is one. One is one. It's not separate. But because I thought I was separate from God, then how could I be his dwelling place? How could I be his habitation? I know the preacher said I'm the temple of God, but they don't know me. They don't know what I want to do. They don't know about my thoughts and my temptations and my love for ice cream. I learned about love the other day about the difference in op, uh, yesterday, uh, agape love and eros love. Agape is God's kind of love. It, it has no, the cause is God's love. There is no because, you've read that. But this eros love, when I say I love ice cream, I don't love it for what it is. I love it for how it makes me feel. Right? That's what that is. So but I still love it though. So, so <clears throat> I was like the Shilamite. And the Song of Solomon. I thought I was black but comely. You know, I, I, I ate a lot of ice cream. I, I probably, when I worked at Brahms, I ate some and I didn't pay for it. When I worked at 7-Eleven, I stole a box of cigars. And the pastor's son and I, and I'm the associate pastor's son, we went under a bridge and smoked all five of them and got so sick we never put anything in our mouth again. So that was a good thing. And he was like 13? Uh, 12. And then the, the manager, the manager at that place gave us the, all the Playboy magazine. So that formed another sin consciousness in us. And I just felt like, yeah, I'm black, but I guess I'm comely. I guess I'm okay for you, but I'm not perfect. And so I fell prey to the do-to-be laws because I never could get to where I was worthy 
or I was holy, or I could boldly enter into being the throne room of God. I was just saved, in a sense, right? Yes. So let me back up to where I was at. Okay, here we go. So because of my self-condemnation from religiosity, I could not hear the voice of my spirit speaking through my thoughts. God's always speaking, and he speaks to your thoughts, but you don't always hear him. To come away with the Father. See, this, this is the Shulamite. To come away with the Father in my thoughts and hear just how much I'm internally loved. I needed to know that I am his and he is mine. It's so interesting. The Lord spoke that to me last night. But I did not know. So I fell prey to seeking the one who is my central uh, essence in all the wrong places. Well, I, and I've heard people tell me this before. I grew up Baptist and then I, I had to leave that. And so I joined a evangelical church and then that failed me. And then I joined a uh, charismatic church and that failed me. And then I did this, I did this, I did this. And then I just quit, and I, like Solomon, I just went into the world trying to find God. And I found out everything is soap bubbles, soap bubbles. That's what it really meant. Because I wasn't looking where? Within. I was looking for love. I was looking for the Spirit. I was looking for God in all the wrong places. And they always said, here it is. Come here. We have it. Come here. We have it. And then when I came, what did they do? They put me to work. I labored in the fields. I went to the cities for help. There were, there were religions and they just put me to work. And we'll sing that song. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work. You ever heard that one? We used to sing that all the time. <laughs> Until Jesus comes. And it's been over 2,020 years. A lot of people have been working really hard. And you know what those are called? Y'all know what they are. What kind of work is? Dead, dead works. They're dead works. So I felt prey to all that. I sought him that I wanted. I wanted to feel his love. I found no love because I was offered due to be uh, rules and regulations and laws. I went to the conferences. I would say going to all the different cities. I went to the conferences looking for his love, but it was not in the many conferences. And yes, the people loved me, but I never really learned of the love of God. I heard people say, God loves you. But like Kathy Sims says, they put a butt in there. And I never could reach up with a butt. He loves me, he loves me not. One day I'm doing good. Oh, God loves me. I got a big bonus. God loves me. And the next week I lost my job. What have I done wrong? Right? So I even asked those who were supposed to be watchmen. The pastors. They were supposed to be watchmen. They were supposed to protect me with teaching me the truth. They were supposed to protect me from the lie of separateness and protect me from self-condemning myself and let me know who I was. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is, this is really ministered to me last night. I mean, I, I sat in my office crying while I was writing all this. And they just scratched their heads thinking, what is this kid talking about? A God that loves everyone? That everyone's going to heaven? That's what they always say. You mean you tell me everyone's going to heaven? Well, I'm telling you everyone is heaven. The word heaven means the abode of God. So we are the heavenly. We are the temple of God. But then, in 1996 to about 2006, the voice of the love of love called me up higher. Not all the way up, but higher. Through John Corson, through Gary Garner, through Scotty Todd, and John Cahill. Those were my four main ministers at that time that were teaching me. And I loved them, and we learned so much. 
and I have transcribed from Gary Garner and John Cahill, the majority Gary Garner, enough books that would fill a 10 by 10 bedroom on every wall, shelves all the way to the ceiling and down. And I, I ate that up. But then there came a time right after about 2007, Brother Garner had gotten sick and Father spoke to me and said, you can quit studying under other teachers and the living word will be poured into me. And literally I heard, I will dictate to you because I was a transcriptionist. I would type out what they said and study it and add to it what the Lord showed me. So very soon I found this one God whom my soul loves. That's what the Shulamite said. When she finally found him, she said, I found the one that my soul, my, my entire being loves. See, my soul has always required, uh, uh, desired union with the, with the mind of God inside of me. But my conscious awareness was infected with so much stuff that I didn't know what I wanted. And that's why I looked for love in all the wrong places. So this one God I found that was already in me. And I never knew it. This one God was already intimate with me. This one God was my source of life was already in me, and I didn't do it. So rather than me not letting Father go, because the Shulamite said she didn't want to let him go when she found him, right? But rather than me not letting my Father go, my Father never let me go, which is impossible. That's right. God will never turn his back on you. God will never leave you. One of my favorite translations I discovered in Romans was when Paul was talking about the condition of man at the foundation. He wasn't attacking homosexuals and lesbians in his day, nor in our day. Because he didn't deal with symptoms, he dealt with the disease, the mistaken identity. But he was showing, and he said, he, in the King James Version, and oh, bless King James and the Catholic religion back then, they just really wanted to confuse us. It said, therefore God gave them up for the lust of their flesh. And it's so plain when you look it up in the Greek. I don't have to look at root words or anything. It says, therefore, they gave God up. Because the King James Version and almost every version that comes out, it wants you to believe that God, there are places you can get to where God will give you up. How many of you ever heard the, uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven? Right. It's a bunch of malarkey. I think I heard... Uh, one of my teachers said that today. My, my, that was my dad, Malcolm Smith. I think he said malarkey. That was one of my dad's favorite words. His father never let me go. He walked through me in my childhood experiences. He, he, he didn't want me to have them. He, didn't, he was not the cause of them. They were the consequences of, of uh, the collectiveness of mankind. There was abuse in our home. And uh, there was tough experiences. There was abuse in our church and our religiosity. We were all abused, right? But he walked through us and continued to bring us up higher and higher. The grace of God, the spirit of God, the holy breath of God always seeks to bring us up higher. It never, ever condemns you. Religiosity condemns you, and then you condemn yourself. I got my Holy Ghost goosebumps. So I was soon baptized in the total awareness that I am his and he is mine. That's what the Shulamite finally said. Yes. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Isn't that awesome? Yes. You want more? Okay. Number two. Jesus said, 
after a conversation with some of the disciples, and this one particular disciple came to him and said, uh, can you excuse me, I need to go bury my dad. Well, that doesn't sound like a bad thing, does it? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll be there after a while, but I gotta go bury my dad. Well, Jesus was again given a parable to a spiritual truth. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Would that make you mad? What if I did that? What if I said, Norma, uh, we're having uh, uh, services Friday night, we're gonna study, and you say, well, I need to go bury my dad, and I'll be there, I'll be a little late, and I just looked at you and said, let the dead bury the dead. Wouldn't it make you mad, wouldn't it? It hurt my feelings. Because you're thinking carnal. But if you knew that he was the living word, you would stop a minute and say, would you explain that to me? A lot, they never asked him to explain these parables to them, did they? They just went away dumbfounded. Burying the dead is a symbol of the painful ridding of the old dead self of ego. That's what it is. Old dead self ego. It's a symbol of that painful ridding and not wanting to let it go because it's too painful. How many times have I said this in the past, Donna? It's very painful to let go of what we thought was true. How many times have you experienced that? Donna was a prayer warrior, and she still is a prayer warrior, but she knows how to pray now. But she was a prayer warrior, and she that when I started talking about the real prayer language was, was love, that was very painful and hard for her. It was hard for me to let go of some things, but I, I don't think it was as hard because the Lord catapulted me into my calling, and he put the word in me and gave me understanding, and he's still giving me understanding. But it is hard to let go of that. And so the Apostle Paul said, I died with, and it is no longer I. And you remember what the word I means? What it is? It's ego. It's me, myself, and I. It's all about me. I'm telling you, one day, I, I've been in sales all my life, and I could just talk for an hour or two about all the stuff I've won. And I am not, I don't have an ego. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just lied. But I have... But I don't think it was a bad ego, but I just, it was that Eros love. I loved getting trophies because it satisfied me. And I wanted people to look kindly on me. So it was still that Eros part, right? That I, I told the Lord yesterday, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I recognize that that will cause depression. It causes suicide. It causes self-condemnation. It causes guilt. It causes shame because you're always doing things to make yourself feel good. But one day I got mad because I came into my office and they took all my trophies down and I found them in a stack on the floor and I had a manager that had Asperger's and he was pretty tough and he told me, he said, we don't want this to be a mausoleum to Roy Richmond. And I got so upset and I got a hammer and I, I, I didn't beat him up. <laughs> I got the tr a trash can. I took every trophy and broke it. I mean, I just lost it. He literally broke me. And I'm telling you what, <laughs> afterwards, I literally almost cried over those trophies. And to me, that's a real picture. It's hard to let go of your ego, right? It's hard to let go of these things. What did you say, the painful ridding of It's what? a painful, painful ridding of the old dead self of ego. Letting it go. You have to let it go. Paul said, it's no longer my ego that's in control of me, but the life that I now live is Christ 
The life that I now live is spirit. I live as the holy breath of God. I no longer live as me, myself, and I. I'm not after trophies. I mean, Paul, of all people, could have got up. And he did say it. He said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. After the word, I know the law. I know the law backwards and forwards. I have these degrees. I have all this stuff. But then pretty soon he said, I consider every bit of that as S-H-I-T. That's what he said. It's just that which comes out of the human. That's and, and Norma, worthless could be used because what comes out of the human body, when it's done with it, it's worthless. It has no nutrients in it. There's no need. In fact, if it gets in your food, it can kill you. Fecal material, it can kill you, right? <laughs> That's one of the things that you do consider worthless. So religiosity is S-H-I-T. Well, it's the same thing. So a certain scribe came after hearing Jesus talk and said, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus informed him that he had no place to lay his head. And we, we know and understand that that means that this understanding that he has there's no place for him to put that in there. Nobody was open to him. Nobody would listen. That same mind that was in him, it, 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 he, he allowed it to be. Nobody would let it be. It was in them. So that's kind of what that is. But then one of, the, of his disciples said, let me go first and bury my father. And so it is evident in Scripture that the word symbolizes those who are unconscious of spiritual truth. I've been saying that for a long time. No intimacy with Father God. No intimacy with the mind of God with inside them. They have no understanding. They don't know that it's the living word. They have understanding in the little word, lowercase word, which is the surface word. And people get offended at this. You tell me, I don't have any understanding. I have a doctor's degree in biblical studies. I have a doctor. Yeah, but that's surface level. Now, I'm praying that there's going to be more and more teachers that teach in seminary schools that's going to teach the living word. I have a desire, and I probably will, because the desire's in there, is I want to create a, doctor, a doctor's degree that teaches nothing but the living word. People need that. So they, being dumb, if you would, to spiritual truth, have no activity in experiencing the truth at any level of understanding whatsoever. So if you allow yourself to go to sleep spiritually or have never awakened to your holy breath, that is, if you live in the carnal senses and you fail to recognize your spiritual selfhood, who you really are, and your relationship with Father, you are virtually dying or already dead. You know, Brother Garner used to tell people we are not dead men walking, but the truth is that a lot of people are dead men walking. Dead to the things of God. Dead to the knowledge of God. So there are people. When I come to the knowledge of God and the true revelation of God, I am a, a live man walking. I'm alive to the things of God, not dead to the things of God. That puts a whole new understanding of dead. So in Adam, death passed on to all men, and that death was spiritual understanding. They could have had understanding, but they continued to identify with their mistaken identity, so they, they allowed themselves to be dead to the things of God. They didn't have to, nor did we have to, but we went to church, and one of the first things we heard was that we were sinners, and what did we do? Amen. I'm the worst of them, right? 
So the fact that you seem to live and to exercise a limited conscience is no evidence that you're alive because you fail. You fail every time you try to do something. You fail because you're not supposed to do something. Almost everyone who has lived on planet Earth or will live on it has experienced their body not being able to contain them because they have not discerned their body. We don't really realize that our body is redeemed. So the truth is we have spoken ill over our body. We have spoken ill over our body. And I'm sure anybody that hears this or will read this book will agree that they have spoken ill over the body. And we still do it to this day. I, I used to think it's scripture, but I can't find it anywhere. But I, I remember John Cahill saying it all the time. And it's, maybe it's just what he said, but let not the redeemed of the Lord say, I'm sick. And I think that's what he was saying. We speak, it's not that I, I deny that there's something going on in my body, but I shouldn't say I am, I am sick because the word I am is I exist. So literally I'm declaring over my body, I exist sick. I am dumb, I exist dumb. I'm ignorant, I exist ignorant. I'm not friendly, I exist not friendly. I have no friends, I exist friendless. And the list can go on and on. I am owed. I exist owed. No, that's not true. So we have to change what we profess because what we say over and over and over, it gets into our brain and it becomes our conscious awareness. And that's why Paul said there's sin in my members. When I would do good, I do evil because there's sin in my members. My member is my brain. I have brought wrong information into my brain. That's the sin. That's the mark missing. That's the mistaken identity. You're not who you say that you are if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. The Word of God says you are son of God. You are daughter of God. You are holy. You are upright. The Word of God says I can do all things through the Spirit of God in me that strengthens me. The, Bible, the, the Word of God says I am altogether lovely. What do we say? I am ugly, right? So we say I exist ugly. And, I mean, we could write a book on what people say about themselves and about others. They are white, and I don't like them. You know, or I am white, I am black, I am red. No, you're not black, you're not white, you're not red, you are son of God. Never in the Bible do I see where really it talked about man's color skin except for the Shulamite. And, you know, they don't give her a name. I thought that's interesting. There's no name in there for her. She was just a Shulamite. But that, that's important for us to understand that. But what, when she said, I am black, that was her identification with a sin consciousness. Right? Because black in the Bible means no understanding, no light whatsoever. But we're in a world where everybody's fighting for individuality. That's currently mindful. That's death. As long as we stand up and say, my race is the correct race and your race is not the correct race, it does nothing that produces, it produces hate. It, there's, where's the love in all that's going on right now? There is no love in what's going on right now. It's all calmly mindful stuff, and it's going to produce a lot of death. I'd like to finish this, but it is late, so I'll quit. Well, it's only 11, 12. That's not too late, is it? All right. If you're watching this and it's, I'm going too long, feel free to come back and finish it. I'm going to, I'm going to finish it. It's too good not to. So... Jesus was not saying he did not care about the man's father and his demise. He was not saying that. His focus was the awakening and raising the spiritual consciousness of his disciples. 
and those that heard of the I exist that lived in them as them, yet has been dead in their mistaken identity and their symptoms of not knowing who they are and buried in a tomb of materiality. That makes sense? We were in the tomb of materiality. It was all about getting things and this conscious awareness and thoughts and beliefs. I have lately been using this mistaken identity as, and I think I put it on Facebook, as we have had, and many people still have, the disease of the mistaken identity syndrome. That's what it is. It's a syndrome. So Jesus was with them to quicken or to make alive their eternal newness of life with a spiritual awakening. That same spirit, that same mind, that same holy breath that was actively in him, that it would be actively in them. It was in them, but it wasn't active, which appeared to be hopeless because they would not understand. No matter what he said, they wouldn't understand. All they cared about is, like I said last week, uh, can I sit on your right hand? You know, you, are you going to set up your throne? When are you going to set up your throne? When are you going to kick out the Romans? When are you going to do this? And, and all they did is they sought his hands, what he could do for them. But they didn't realize the living word was flowing out of him. So when the dead man of sense is made alive in the conscience of spirit, the lost is found. And that's what was lost. The son of man has come to save that which is lost or rescue that they were lost to their awareness of God. So fortunately, Jesus was not shocked at their unconscious resistance. They didn't realize they were resisting him, but they were. So Father had a plan in place. He equipped and anointed the Apostle Paul to do that which was his eternal mandate. He was anointed to speak and explain the living word of God that would bring eternal newness of life to all that would receive the not-concealed word of God. In other words, when we say eternal newness of life, is we've always had newness of life. We may look old in this body, but we are new. God sees us the way we are, and we are new, and we lack nothing whatsoever. So what's wrong with wanting to bury the dead? What would be wrong with that? Nothing in the physical sense. But the symbology of what Jesus was saying to the disciples is, do not be dealing with the symptoms dead and all that means, of the disease, mistaken identity. When, when a church or when we individually are dealing with the symptoms, we're just busy with burying the dead and it just keeps popping right back up again, right? Remember that song, the Hokey Pokey? Uh, our our, uh, our uh, funeral home in uh, Arizona buried that man that wrote the Hokey Pokey and they had a lot of problems with him. Because every time they put him in his leg, in the casket, his left foot would pop out. <laughs> Those of you who've never heard the hokey pokey, you won't understand that. Hi, Kay. I love you. <laughs> the foot popped right back out. It's just like that God Dagon. They, that, I call him Dagon. It's Dagon. Every time that the Lord showed them a picture and the, it would fall down, they would lift it right back up. You know, so if you're always have a ministry of burying the dead, you're dealing with the symptoms and you just, you can't get rid of the symptoms because the disease is still there. I spent a lot of time going to doctors, Mayo Clinic three times, Mercy Hospital, other places, 25 doctors, and all they were doing is trying to deal with the symptoms and they never did look for the actual cause. And so their answer was, was drugs that was going to produce death. And that's why I got off of them.
So we can find a, a code to what Jesus was saying in Luke 59. See, Matthew didn't show the whole story, but Luke did. In Luke chapter 59, uh, Luke adds another statement to this verse where he said, let the dead bury the dead. He said, but go you and preach the kingdom of God. Isn't that weird? Now, here I am. My daddy died. I want to bury my dad before I come and see Jesus and follow Jesus. And Jesus there said, no let the dead bury the dead. Oh, thank you. Okay, there's no Luke 59. I probably meant to do a verse, but I'll correct that. Five nine, probably. probably 5-9. But, but listen, don't, don't get lost with that part. So here it is. I want to bury my dad. My dad. I love my dad. I'm used to my dad. It's going to be very hard to bury my dad. And then all of a sudden, Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Then he says, but go you and preach the kingdom of God. And again, if I'm not seeking spiritual understanding, I would turn away and leave him. Just like that young disciple that came, or young uh, Pharisee that came to Jesus said, I've obeyed all the law. What must I do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus knew what he was thinking. It's all by the law. So he gave him another law and he said, he said, sell all you have and give to the poor. And what did he do? He foolishly turned around and walked away. Why didn't he say, Jesus, would you explain that to me? Why don't we say that to people? I always say it's so silly and so ignorant to say, I don't believe you and walk away. Why don't you say, I don't understand. Would you explain it to me? You rob yourself of truth. So what is the kingdom of God? It's peace and perfection and the joy that one experiences knowing that they're upright and they're righteous and they're holy. If a person is fully aware of this fact, you don't have to bury the dead anymore. You don't have to deal with the symptoms. You don't have to hide all that stuff that's coming out of them. And then you see the truth for yourself. So hence, death will be under their feet. But if you're always trying to bury the dead, you got them involved in it, and they're trying to bury themselves, or what we call crucify ourselves, right? You're not, you're not supposed to crucify yourself. You're not supposed to deal with that. So what, relig relig what religiosity seeks to bury the dead it is a what? A dead work. So from my translation of Romans 16, 20, we find Paul saying this, and the father of perfection will put the hindrance and what produces you under your feet in haste. That's what it says in, in the Greek. And then it says the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus Christ is in you, amen. That's right. So how fast? How fast will that work? Well, as quick as you want it done, because the throttle is in your hand. It's in your hand. So this man wanted to bury his father, signifies a long-time relationship with a state of mind. We have had a long-time relationship with a carnal state of mind. Most of us that's been on this earth for very long, which effectively prevents the knowledge of righteousness, peace, and perfection, the resulting joy from being understood and having a personal experience with that. We can have thoughts and beliefs and desires in our brain that we hang on to that they're too painful to let go. Just like a death of a husband. You know, you lost your husband how many years ago? Four years ago. If somebody else comes along and wants to marry you, I guarantee you it's going to be very hard to let go of your connection to your husband, your first husband, right? right. It would be very difficult. 
And so some of these things in our brain have our strongholds that we're familiar with. They're like our father, right? They're, I loved my father. So I loved those things. I, they gave me some kind of comfort or whatever, and they're hard to let go of. And so it is death. So Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father Abraham. The word devil means traduce or hinder. Or you are of your father the Mosaic law. And they were familiar with it. They had carried that mindset with them for many, many years. It was passed on to them from their fathers. And so it was an instrument of death that came from a false state of mind. I call it again the mistaken identity syndrome, which produces death in every way. So I'm getting close to being done here. So Jesus uses, is using a parable to explain the leaving of such activity or the expectation, especially when considered as a bulky or encumbrance to turn oneself to truth and righteousness. So in other words, burying the dead is bulky and it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, they're heavy. I've had to carry caskets, you know. And so not just the physical part of it, but the mental stress that's involved in burying your loved one. It's horrible. So the same is true of bearing these symptoms because it's nonstop. You know, back in 2017, my mom died, my brother died, my sister. I thought, is this ever going to stop? It was very encumbering on me. It was very heavy on me. I, had, I dealt with it with my sister first and the family. It was horrible. Then all of a sudden, my mom begins to have strokes, and, and I know she's going to die, and it was, it, was, it was just getting me down. And then lo and behold, in December, my brother passes away. It was horrible. But what religiosity does is they keep nonstop burying the dead. We get this one dead, but then there's another one that we need to bury. And here's another one we need to bury. And here's another one we need to, we need to, you're not crucified enough. You're not praying enough. You're not doing enough. And it's nonstop and it's cumbersome and it buries you down and you get discouraged and many people end up killing themselves. Or leaving the church, or of course self-condemning themselves, and nobody's ever to raise them up, to the point they become religiously mental ill, and it's very difficult to help those people, but you can. So he's trying to help explain how to leave that kind of activity. Two women came to prepare Jesus' body with spices after he was put in the tomb, and they did not find him in the tomb. And the Bible says that they were perplexed, like, what? And they never listened to him. He said he was going to raise on the third day. He told the Pharisees, destroy this temple, me, and I. See, this is where I get the fact that he raised himself from the dead. I will raise it back up again. And so they were perplexed. And while they were stunned... Donna, remind me on page 8 to change why to while. While they were stunned that Jesus' body was gone, two messengers showed up. They either stepped out of the realm of spirit or they were there already. Two messengers showed up with a great understanding and they said, Why seek you the living among the dead? See, religiosity spends all their time in death, Right? And so because they think they have to deal with death, they see no life in you. And they think that's the way to get life. If they can just get rid of all the symptoms, then you will live. And it doesn't work. 
right? If I have cancer in my body and all they're doing is cutting out the cells as they're dying, but they don't do something about the cancer, then I'm going to end up dying. And all that stuff is a dead work. I wasted my time, right? And so that's what they did. So they're preplexed. Why seek ye the living among the dead? The symbolism of this is that we go to look for that which is spirit, holy breath, God and man, and the tomb of morbid religiosity. And it's sad. Not all places. There are places today that's teaching the living word. I know for sure K's Two Fellowships is teaching the living word. And I believe others are too. But they, we go to religiosity. We try one religion first. It doesn't work. We go to another religion. It doesn't work. Some people go to religions not trying to. They're just happy being who they are. And they stay there all the days of their life. But we seek creeds. We seek laws. We create we seek rules, we ask him to tell us what to do, and many ref, uh, refuse to believe that Father can be anywhere else but in the four walls of a religious establishment. There are people here on Facebook that I'm connected with because they don't go to a religious establishment anymore. Their friends, their neighbors think that they're sinners because, oh, you don't go to church? Almost that's where God is. You don't go see God in those four walls? Mankind fails to see the living word, our Father, holy breath, is in the midst of every being. Every being. One more story, then I'm done. You remember the King Uzziah? Mm -hmm. King Uzziah died, and Isaiah has been looking down most of his life. Looking in the earth, admiring King Uzziah, and I'm going to tell you why in a little bit, and not really looking up the spiritual things. And finally, he looked up and saw Father and man when King Uzziah died, got out of his way. Father sitting in the temple. And he heard a messenger comfort cry out, Holy, holy, holy is this one God. The entire earth and its inhabitants is full of this one God's holy breath. Isn't that powerful? When you see that, you're no longer a dust dweller. You no longer look down. You no longer look at color. You no longer look at creed. You no longer look at good, bad, sick, well, whatever. You look up and you see. And that's what happened to Isaiah. Uzziah, also spelled Uzziah, is called Azariah or Azarias in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles 26, was son and successor to Amaz, the king of Judah. For 52 years he served. Uzziah took the throne at the age of 16. I always think it's interesting. Father calls very youthful people. Jeremiah was a teenager. I think maybe 14, somewhere around there. Maybe it's because they weren't filled with religiosity yet. Maybe that picture is getting hold of somebody with purity of mind. I don't know. But his reign was the most prosperous, accepting that of Jehoshaphat since the time of Solomon. And in Israel, he made all kinds of machines designed for skillful men for use on towers corners defense, the, uh, things to shoot arrows out and hurl large stones. He invented all kinds of stuff. So I would say that he tapped into the mind of God or the understanding of God, but he did not tap into wisdom. You know, people always say knowledge is power, but if you don't use wisdom, it's bad, correct? That's what's going on today. So according to Second Chronicles 26, Uzziah con uh, conquered the Philistines and the Arabians. He received tribute from the Ammonites, he, he refortified the country, reorganized and re-equipped the army, 
and personally engage in agricultural pursuits. Pretty smart dude, right? You'd think, wow, man, he is really blessed. And, and God did call him. And he was vigorous and able to rule, and his name spread abroad even to the entrance of Egypt. But sadly, his pride caused his downfall. His pride. He entered into Eros. It was all about satisfying him. Great things, you know, look what I've done, look what I've done. So his name symbolizes strength. And in this, you should be thinking of a scripture by now that's found in Zechariah 4. <coughs> a messenger comes to Zerubbabel, and after a short conversation of showing things to him, he asked Zerubbabel about the things he had shown him, and Zerubbabel said he did not understand them. And the messenger said, this, tell me to correct that too, Don, I got a weird word there on page 10. He said, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, not by power, which is carnal strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So once Uzziah, the man of physical strength and power and might, that was not necessarily under the source of God, died. Because that's what all this will do. Trying to fix somebody with physical might, with power and crucifying and trying to deal with dead works, you're going to die. When that dies and you quit doing that, then you're going to look up. Pastors need to hear this. They're going to look up. Isaiah the prophet of God finally raised his awareness and he saw the entire race of mankind filled with the glory of God. Uzziah forgot his real meaning of his name. His real meaning is Jehovah is my strength or more importantly, strength of Yahweh. The strength of Yahweh. So Father did help Josiah and never withdrew from him, but Josiah gave himself over to censure eros, which is self-love, self-gratification, which never, ever satisfies. So what's the moral of this story? Let the dead bury the dead. Quit fooling with the symptoms. Quit fooling with the symptoms. Let the Spirit of God, the living Word of God, come in and correct your identity and save you from that mistaken identity syndrome and free you from that. Realize that Jesus, Jesus' baptism, was Him getting involved in man's suffering and mental illness and mental confusion. And He walked for three and a half years and poured out His power over that and showed them that it was a no thing. And fortunately, Paul came and revealed that to us. So let the bury, uh, dead bury the dead, and let us get on with declaring, explaining, and decreeing the eternal righteousness of all people. Amen? Amen. Let it be so. Thank you for being here. That wasn't too bad, hour and a half. <laughs> it was a good meal, wasn't it? It was a great meal. And it's, it's, it's a blessing to me. I just, as I studied these things out, I just... The Lord just, the Spirit spoke to me and just said, go here and go to Uzziah. And just led me down this trail and it was just powerful. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was making a banquet and I couldn't wait to feed it and eat it myself. So I love you guys. I appreciate you being on here. Hi, Tommy. Uh, I can't read that last name there. But I uh, appreciate all of you being here and we bless you. Make sure and tune in to Kay today. At, uh, I believe she's going to be on at 4.30 Eastern time. And she's continuing her mind brain 
connection in the book of Revelation. It's some powerful, powerful truths that will bless you and help make you free. So we love you all. Thank you.